The following message has been brought to you by Trinity Baptist Church. For more information, visit us on the web at trinitybc.org. Sunday night, but the Falcon Heavy rocket launch happened. Uh, maybe some of y'all watched that. Uh, it's kind of an amazing thing to watch as those rockets launch up into space. And then uh, the amazing part for me is the synchronized landing as those rocket boosters return to Earth. And I don't understand how they navigate those things after traveling such a vast distance launching up into space to fall down on a little pad and land perfectly synchronized together coming in and landing um, there back at the Kennedy Space Center. It's an amazing thing to watch even on video. A uh, number of months back, uh, Hudson, Trent, Candace, and I, I can't remember if Ainsley went or not, I don't think she did, uh, but we, we uh, went down and watched uh, Falcon rocket launch. It wasn't the heavy one that has the two side boosters, it was the Falcon launch, and that alone it is amazing to watch. Maybe some of you, when the shuttle was taking off, went down there and watched a shuttle launch. But it's amazing the, the earth quaking, the noise that that engine produces, that rocket, and then the flame and the smoke as that thing is launched up into to the sky. The heavy falcon produces 5 million pounds of thrust. Uh, the SLS, the one that NASA launched, the little Artemis mission and all that they're going on, that produces 8.8 million pounds of thrust. And maybe you've seen the bright silver one, the aluminum-looking one. It's definitely not aluminum, but the bright, shiny one that SpaceX is building out in Texas and maybe going to launch here on a test uh, run again. Uh, the Starship, 17 million pounds of thrust. Now, that is an amazing amount of, of thrust behind that rocket that puts it all the way up, that huge rocket that they're building all the way up in why am I mentioning rockets? Because there's a great segue into what we're going to look to in a moment as we think of the Word of God and the power of the Word of God. As you think of a rocket, and I hope you think of this every time you see a rocket launch from now on, the energy and thrust, the power that it takes to get that object all the way up into space. I want you to realize tonight from Isaiah 55, especially verses 10 and 11, what we find is that the Word of God is the thrust behind the mission of God. That the Word of God is what is the power that, that brings about the product, the power behind the production of God's purposes and God's plan and God's sovereign will on this 
planet that, that he, by the power of his word, brings about his purposes. God's word is extraordinarily powerful. God's word accomplishes that which he desires for it to accomplish. Now last week we looked at verses 1 through 7 of chapter 55, which is a beautiful invitation for the sinner to come to a holy God in repentance and find forgiveness. And when you understand what God offers in salvation, it does leave us wondering, like, why would God do such a thing? And we know how he does it. Isaiah 53, the suffering servant who dies and bears the iniquity of the sinner, the invitation comes in chapter 55 in light of what the Messiah, what Jesus did for us at Calvary. But you still are kind of left wondering, Why would God do such a thing? And that's where verses 8 and 9 came in. God's ways are above ours and they're higher than ours. You you can't understand the grace of God. It is above humanity, above the way that we respond to things. It's the the gracious, merciful love of God. And then in verses 10 through 13, what we find in these verses is an assurance that God's grace will, basically that God's grace is, God's grace will accomplish what He says it will accomplish. And the surety that God gives is His Word. That He's declared it is so, and based upon the authority, based upon the power of His Word, we can have a a, a comfort, a faith, a trust, because God has declared it so. And if God has declared it so, it will be so. I want us to read the whole chapter so we're going to focus in on verses 10 through 13, but reading the whole chapter again just to gain, to gain the context, because verse 10 begins before. It's giving, the, giving a reasoning for what precedes it. So let's go back to verse 1 of chapter 55 and recap this great invitation that God gives. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you who have no, mercy, or no money, come by and eat. Yes, come by wine and milk without money and without price. He's saying to those who are bankrupt, Come to God and purchase a seat at this table, not of your own worth or value or money, but but sit down at a table that's been prepared for you by the purchase God has made. Why do you spend your money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. And climb your ear and come to me here and your soul shall live. So an offer that's, that God gave, as we looked at last week, that he says, why do you seek and waste your life on all of these meaningless, worthless things that cannot save, that cannot provide lasting hope? When God offers to us the only thing that truly redeems, the only thing that can truly satisfy in this life, himself, the redemption that he gave to us through Christ, through the suffering servant, he says, incline your ear, come to me, here, and your soul shall live. He says, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you, the sure mercies of David. Indeed, I have given him as a witness to the people, a leader and commander for the people. Surely you shall call a nation you do not know, and nations who do not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. The fact that all the nations will come through this suffering servant to know the Lord. An invitation for all people everywhere in Christ to become the children of God. Seek the Lord, verse 6, while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and let the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord. What do we find God will do? Do we 
repent and turn to a God who judges and condemns us. No, when we repent and turn to Him, He will have mercy on Him. And to our God, for He will abundantly pardon. God graciously forgives us when we turn and seek His forgiveness. Why? Verse 8, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways or your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Now he gives another reasoning tying in to this grace and this invitation that God gives to the sinner. For as the rains come down and the snow from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, and make it bring forth and bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out with joy and be led out with peace and The mountains and the hills shall break forth into singing before you, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorns shall come up the cypress tree, and instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree. And it shall be to the Lord for a name, for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. I know some of you live on a lake. I grew up on Crystal Lake, and and on top of the great blessing of every summer being to able to be out on that lake all the time. One of the things I can so keenly remember is being able to watch, and still to this day, even my parents being still on the lake, being able to go over there and watch the storms that, that are passing by that you see miles and miles away. You know, that, that if you're not on a lake, or at least in a very large open field, you can't really see down that far, that long away. But, but on a lake, you see it miles away coming your direction. And even as it gets closer and closer, a, just a sheet of rain that can come across that lake navigating its way to you. And in seasons of drought, when things are dry, not getting a lot of rain, you know, all the grass turns sort of a brownish, lighter, you know, a little bit green, but definitely more of a dead, dry-colored green. But after a few rains, uh, what happens? Everything gets green and gets lush. You know, it starts growing, and flowers even can start budding. Now, that's one thing for most of us, almost all of us probably, who just watch the rain and, you know, delight in the grass that grows when the rain comes. If you were a farmer, especially a farmer in this day and age, the the rain meant a lot more than just beholding the beauty of greenery. Uh, The rain was what you depended upon for your livelihood. A lack of rain meant starvation. An abundance of rain meant an abundance of of produce, the the bounty of the crop that would come because of the the rain that would fall to the ground. And so the rain would come, the produce would be abundant, the eater could make much bread and have much seed to, to cast again to sow a new crop. They were dependent upon those rains that would come to water the farmland. God uses this agricultural imagery as He teaches us about what His Word does. As His Word falls from heaven like the rain, and the rain that would fall would produce, would produce life, that there is life dependent upon the, the rain that falls, so there is life that is dependent upon and life that is produced by the Word of God that comes from heaven, that falls down from heaven. 
And this Word, it gives seed to be sown, and it gives bread to feed the eater. The Word of God that He gives to mankind. And He really gives the key application of, of what He's speaking of in this imagery there in verse 11. And He says, So shall My Word be that comes forth out of My mouth. It shall not return to Me void. But the Word of God, when He declares something, when He speaks something, as He even by the power of His Word spoke creation into being, it's not incidental that the Genesis account of the creation of this universe begins with, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. God spoke these things by the power of His Word. Matter came into to being. It's the same God who gives revelation to man, and He says that what He declares forth will not return to Himself void, empty, not having had the effect that He declared for it to have. That when God has said something, we can take it to the bank. That we can be guaranteed that it will come to pass. That He will accomplish what He says. And He defines even what it means that it won't return void when He says, but it shall accomplish what I please. But God is desiring as He speaks to the, the revelation that He has spoken. He says there, there's a power to it. A power to the Word of God to accomplish what God pleases, what God desires. And it shall prosper in the things for which I sent it. There's a power to the Word of God, and there's a prosperity to the Word of God, a, a prevailing nature to the Word of God, that God's Word will overcome any, any attempt to thwart what God has declared. Any enemy like Satan or his, his demons that try to undo what God has said, hath God said, God's Word prevails. God's Word wins. God's Word achieves success. It shall prosper, God says, in the thing for which I sent it. What I want us to do this evening is a basic reminder for many of you as we think of the Word of God, the power of the Word of God, the, the success that the Word of God achieves, the, the prevailing nature of it, the prosperity, that it prospers over anything and everything. It's a basic reminder for many of us, but it's a needed reminder because we live in a world that wants to make us question what we're about to look to. Uh, we, we have a, an enemy who desires for us to, to fall away from what God declares about His Word in this passage, in this text. To doubt the Word of God. To deny the Word of God. And so it's good that we be put to remembrance. But I know there's probably some of you that this may not be such a basic reminder. Uh, that it may be something new even for you to consider. That there is a God, and that this God has spoken, and what He has spoken is authoritative and has a power and, and has a, a means of accomplishing God's purposes because He's declared it to be so. And so, for those that it's new, I hope this is informative. I hope this is eye-opening about God's Word, and even in application, God's Word, which we'll talk about in a moment. Uh, but for many of us, I hope it's a good reminder of the power and of the strength of the Word of God, the thrust even of the Word of God to bring about what God desires, not only generally in the life of the church, but individually in your life and in my life. So just some applicational thoughts based upon 
this power of the Word of God that it will not return void. Number one, first of all, because God's Word will not return void, we must trust God's Word. We should depend upon it, rely upon it, believe it, find our strength in it, find our comfort in it, trust His Word. The, in the, the book of Isaiah, though written before the captivity, was written with the audience of the captives that would go into Bab- Babylon. Um, it, it was written really right during all of that time frame. But uh, the, the main audience for the latter portion, especially of the book of Isaiah, is those captives in captivity in Babylon. Uh, they had been ripped out of their homeland, Jerusalem, laid waste. They're there in a foreign land as slaves, knowing the rich heritage that they came from, knowing the miracles that the God of Israel had worked in time past for His children, for His people. Left in a place of doubt and worry and fear, has God failed? Why didn't God deliver us as He did with Joshua and with Moses and and even with the judges that He raised up in those times of the dark history of Israel? Where had the God of Israel gone to? Had God forsaken us, or even worse, had God been defeated by the gods of the Babylonians, and and Isaiah is declaring forth the word of God, a prophetic message that God gave through this prophet to, to speak the word of God to the people of God, to help them realize that God knew beforehand all that was going to transpire, that God even has sovereignly worked to bring this captivity as a judgment upon his people because of their hard-heartedness and their sin, their waywardness, and it was actually His grace to convict them of their sin, that they may see the sinfulness of their sin and be led back to Him, led back to repentance. It was ultimately a word of God to renew their faith in the Lord and His promises even that are so repeated throughout the book of restoration, of redemption, of a new Zion, a, a greater Jerusalem that is to come. And so verses 12 through 13... We, we read it again, another repetition of the promises of God's future blessing for His people. You're going to go out with joy and be let out with peace. Or put yourself in the shoes of those slaves in Babylon. Your homeland, your house burned to the ground. Many that you knew, friends and family, killed. And you were one of the survivors. And now you're living a life of, of a slave being abused and mistreated with no hope of freedom ever. You are a captive in a foreign land with no leader that can free you from the might of this great nation, uh, empire of Babylon that you are now under. And God says to them, you shall go out with joy and be let out with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth into singing before you and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress tree and instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree and it shall be to the Lord for a name, for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Now there's wording here that speaks well beyond the return to the promised land, uh, even dealing with the undoing of the curse of sin with the thorn and with the briar, the thorn being changed to the cypress tree and the briar, the, the myrtle tree. It's an undoing of the curse of sin from the Garden of Eden even that is in mind here in the, the greater sense. And the suffering servant will accomplish this for his people. Suffering servant of Isaiah 53. All of this I'm just kind of putting in the larger context for you to see with verses 10 and 11. 
God is saying all of this will come to pass because my word has said it will be so. And Isaiah is writing this book inspired of the Lord, the God of all creation, giving this message through the prophet to the people in order that the people may come to know God and trust Him, to, to have a restored faith in God and to know God has promised this. It's going to be so. This will happen. We, we can rest upon it. We can take great comfort in it, even in the midst of our situation, that we don't have any clue how God's going to work it or accomplish it. Because our situation looks desperate and looks beyond this even being a possibility. And yet, if God has declared it is so, I can look back and see His Word being proven true time and time and time again. God will accomplish what He has declared. A few chapters back in Isaiah 40, verse 8, the prophet Isaiah wrote, The grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of our God stands forever. God's Word does not fail. I told you the story before, but great story from a pastor about when people would pass away in his church, especially older uh, saints of the Lord that walked with the Lord for a long while, one of the things he liked to do is get their Bible and read through their Bible and see what verses were highlighted or underlined or maybe what notes were added to the margins of their Bible. And there was one godly lady in his church that passed away and he he asked if he could read through her Bible. And of course the family uh, got the Bible and gave it to him. And as he's reading through on every page of the Bible, he kept seeing T and T. T and the sign and sign and T. And, and he was trying to figure out what is all of this T and T about. And so he went back to the, the family and he asked, listen, you know, in the Bible on nearly every page, I see all of these markings multiple times where it's saying T and T. And they laughed and they said, oh, that was, that was her way of, of, of writing tried and true. That these are all the promises of God in the Scriptures that she in her life found tried in her life and found tried and true that God's promises never fail, that, that God never goes back upon what He has said, that we can take what He says to the bank, we can rely upon it, we can base our lives upon it, we can find comfort in it. God's Word ought to bring us comfort, comfort in our hearts at all times. It's easy to trust the Lord when things are going well, but the real test comes when things aren't going well. Do you trust the Word of God? find comfort in the Word of God. God's Word will not return, return void. We must trust it. Notice, secondly, also we must proclaim it. To proclaim His Word. The book of Isaiah is a proclamation of the Word of God. What we're reading here is, is the inspired proclamation through the prophet Isaiah of God's Word to His people. And what we have even now tonight, and we'll look at it in just a moment, is the inspired Word of God that, that He has in written form, preserved for our instruction and our admonition tonight. That this is the authoritative, inspired, and infallible, inerrant Word of God that we look to and read, so much so that I could, I could speak of the Word God has spoken with authority and with power, just as much so the Word that God has written before us with the same authority and the same power. And so I don't draw a distinction between saying, well, only the word God actually declared and spoke um, then and there in time past carries the power of God. No, what God has preserved in this inspired writing for our sake this evening also is the word of God. And we can directly make that application that this is the inspired word of God 
the infallible and errant Word of God, and it carries forth that same power. Isaiah is proclaiming this Word to the people of God. It's a proclamation of the Word of God. It was his calling in Isaiah chapter 6 when God called him. You know, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and the the smoke filled the temple, the train of His robe filled the temple, and the angels were crying out, Holy, 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 and He went through this cleansing process, Who who will I send? Who will go for me? Isaiah said, I, I will go. And then what did God say to him? In verse 9 of that chapter, He says, Go and tell this people. And then He has a message. And it's summarized there in the next few verses, but really the message is the entire book of Isaiah that we have before us. Isaiah's message was to go and tell, to declare forth the revelation of God, the Word of God, to the the people of God. Jeremiah 23 and verse 29, it says, Is not my word like a fire, says the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, For the Word of God is living and powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Romans ten seventeen, faith comes by hearing, and hearing how? By the Word of God. The Word of God is what can truly change the heart of man. The Word of God is what can truly change the heart of a sinner. change your heart and my heart tonight. If you've been here very long, you know that my aim and goal and calling is not to take the latest fad or the most interesting story or the latest little tidbit of wisdom and try to present a little homily, a little outline on some sort of wisdom or instruction or story that I got from some wise philosopher or writer or interesting experience that I went through. The job of the the preacher is as of the same job of the prophet, merely to foretell or foretell whether it's telling what will come or what has come. For the preacher, it's telling what has already happened to declare forth the Word of God before the people of God. I believe my task every time I teach or preach is to open up the Scripture and to read the Scripture and then to expound upon the Scripture. And all that I say ought to be coming from the Scripture. So much so that it's not that I take a verse and bounce off of it and you know tell you three points and an interesting poem or in a moving story. and a, I mean, the main goal, those are not necessarily bad in and of themselves, but the main goal of the preacher ought to be to make the passage plain and clear and laid out before us all. Pastor under it too. The Word of God is what has the power to change the heart of man. 1 Peter 2 and 2, As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the Word, that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. That you ought to desire the pure milk of the Word, the the Word that has the power to sanctify your heart. How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your Word, it says in Psalm 119 and verse 9. Psalm 119 and verse 11, Your Word have I hidden my heart, that I might not sin against God. There's a power 
to the Word of God. 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17. All Scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Why? That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So what is it that will sanctify your heart, believer, to make you more like Jesus? It's the proclamation of the Word of God. There's a goodness to being here tonight and receiving the Word of God and in, 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 in hearing and in taking in the, the Word of God that has the power to change a sinner's heart. If you're here and you don't know Christ as Lord and Savior and you're not a child of God, there's a goodness to hearing the Word of God because it's the Word of God that can soften the hardness of your heart. The hymn writer of the great hymn, How Firm a Foundation, put it so clearly. How, how firm a foundation, you saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in His excellent Word. And then he poses a, a question. What more can he say than to you he hath said, who unto the Savior for refuge have fled? What more could he say than to you he hath said? But the Word of God is sufficient. Because the Word of God is greater than the 17 million pounds of thrust that may take or may not take the, the SpaceX, uh, whatever it is, I'm forgetting what the shiny one is out in Texas, the name of it right now. But the Word of God has more power than that rocket. And the Word of God will accomplish the purposes of God. The Word of God will not return void. And so as the Word of God is preached and declared forth and taught, and as you even base your life upon the teaching and application of the Word of God, you can know His Word will accomplish its purposes in your life and in the lives of those who receive it. Thirdly, related greatly to the proclamation of His Word, I'd say, a third application, internalize His Word. It won't return void. You need to internalize it, to take it in. The imagery that we talked about in this agricultural illustration of the rain coming and, and it producing life, it producing fruit. It's the imagery of great blessing, of great prosperity because of the rain, because of the Word that comes down. It's God's Word in us that, that grows our faith, that continues to change our hearts to be more like more like Christ. And so as you think of the Word of God, just some real basic practical applications here. One, read the Word of God. What does it mean to internalize the Word of God? Read the Word of God. Be readers of the Scripture. I hope you daily are in the Word of God. And I'm not saying you need to read through the Bible in a, a year. That's a great accomplishment. But sometimes, be honest, if you're trying to read through it in a year, you don't even think about what you're reading. <laughs> you just fly through the verses to check the checkbox. I'd rather you take one verse or even one phrase of one verse and spend much time, which ties into another one here in a minute of meditating, but spend much time actually thinking about what you've read. But read the Word of God. You, you should be desiring it as the, a baby desires the pure milk of his mother to desire the Word of God whereby you may grow. Read the Word of God. Listen to the Word of God. You've got such a blessing with the technology that we have in this day and age. With all the bad that comes through technology, there's also much good that's available to us. And unfortunately, all the bad often wins out. But never in the era of human history have we had access to such information that's been given through the internet. 
um, the ability to download the Bible app and hit a button and you can have the Bible read to you. That's a great thing. Uh, listening to God's Word. Being here this evening, listening to the Word of God. Uh, Sunday sermons, Wednesday sermons, even online sermons. Uh, you may think my preaching is awful. There are many who preach better than I, and there are many in history who have preached better than I can. And guess what? The beauty of the technology that we have allows us. You can open up your YouTube app and go, you know, I heard of this old guy, Adrian Rogers. What's he? Who is he? Listen to some Adrian Rogers. You got a guy, Charles Stanley, who's really old right now. And he's okay, but back in the day, he was a little better, I would say. You can listen to all of Charles Stanley. You, you can pull up sermons from... Um, so many great preachers. I love Alistair Begg. I love Martin Lloyd-Jones. I love so, so many great preachers, great sermons that have stirred the hearts of generations even in time past that we can tune into. Listen to God's Word. Study God's Word. Dive deeper into God's Word than just a superficial reading of it. Um, Learn to rightly interpret God's Word and then write in, right, rightly interpreting, rightly applying. Make use of commentaries. Commentaries aren't a replacement for God's Word, but they're helpful in studying it out. Meditate upon God's Word. Uh, the sermon this evening really is a, a, a meditation on this passage. Uh, what does it mean to us that God's Word will not return void, that it has the power to accomplish all that God pleases and it will prosper in what God desires? Well think about it and I've prayed about it, that means I ought to trust it. That means I, 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 I ought to proclaim it. That means I ought to internalize it. And we'll close with we got to obey it. Uh, all of that's just a meditation on the Word of God. We don't read the Word of God and then forget it. We need to read the Word of God and, and let it soak in. Meditate upon it all the day long. Let it be the meditation of your heart. Memorize God's Word. I've hidden it in my heart that I might not sin against God. Commit to memorizing the Scriptures. Whether that's just a few verses or whether you've been given the ability to memorize chapters, you ought to be about the work of memorizing God's Word. And then one more, pray God's Word. That's something I haven't done until just a few years ago. I even heard of the concept of praying the Word of God. There is great power in praying the Word of God. And you say, what do I mean by that? Find a passage and pray it over your life or pray it over your spouse's life, or pray it over your children's life, or our church's life, or your pastor, for goodness sake. I need your prayer. But, but even as you read a passage like this, for as the snow comes down, uh, and snow from heaven, and, and does not return there, but waters the earth, you know, Lord, I know, you know, just as the rain comes down, your word has come down from heaven. And Lord, you have given your word to us, and it's even here inspired for me this evening, and it, it does give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. It's going to go forth, um, and, and Lord, it does not return void. I, I do trust Your Word. I know that there's a power in Your Word, that through Your Word You're accomplishing Your purposes, all that You please, and there's, there's a prosperity uh, that it brings forth. And so, Lord, I pray, help me to follow and live and love Your Word. Help my children to live and love. In reflection of the Word of God that you're reading, Turn that into a prayer before the Lord and pray the Scriptures over your life, over your, your spouse's life, over your children, over your church, over your pastor, over others. Last point, and we'll close. Obey His Word because it is inspired and authoritative. It will not return void. God's Word is not an opinion. 
to be considered and debated. God's Word is truth. It's truth from God Almighty. It's meant to be obeyed. But we're called to surrender to it because it is divine revelation. And in the end, it's God's Word that wins. God's Word does not return void. Your Word will. Your thoughts are fallible. Your thoughts are finite. God's Word is infinite. God's in its power and its scope and its foresight and its authority. Psalm 119, verse 89, Forever, O Lord, Your Word is settled in heaven. We've read Isaiah 40 and verse 8 already. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of our God stands forever. God's Word commands the sinner to repent and believe. It's a command that God has given. Repent and believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a... The fact that God's Word will not return void is a great comfort to the believer. But it is a great warning to the unbeliever. That in the end, you will bow and every tongue will confess. Like God's Word wins in the end. It will not fail. It, it will achieve what God has set out for it to achieve. And, and so the call of God's Word is, is obedience and surrendering to it now where we find grace, where we find redemption, where we find salvation, and not then at judgment where we find condemnation, where we find damnation. There's a call to repent and believe for the unbeliever, and then there's a call of submission in our living uh, for those who are believers, who are the children of God. Uh, that I've spoken to somebody who's kind of, a, kind of a new convert, new believer to some degree, but still very, very infant in their walk with the Lord and just kind of wondering, like, how do I know what's right and what's wrong in my life? Like, how do I really know what I am allowed to do and should do and what I shouldn't do? And, and the answer is simple, and yet for this person it was a, like aha moment. Like, that's what God's Word is for. We wouldn't know if God hadn't revealed it, but God has revealed it. And His Word is truth, and what He commands of us is most glorifying for Himself, but is also what is best for human flourishing for us. Individually even. They're like God's will, God's ways, God's commands are not what keep us from doing what makes us most happy. They're actually, when we obey them, what brings what is best for us and what brings the most happiness and contentment in life. The pleasures of sin seem like they're going to do it, but there's a pleasure for a season, but then comes the destruction and the devastation and the just messed up brokenness that sinful actions bring into a person. God's commands are good. God's ways are the ways of blessing and ultimately the ways of eternal prosperity, of eternal well-being, eternal goodness. I want to close with a beautiful little paragraph that's in every, I think it's in every Gideon Bible. They print there on the introductory pages um, before the Scriptures begin. And we'll, we'll close out with this. The Bible contains the mind of God, the state of man, the way of salvation, the doom of sinners, and the happiness of believers. Its doctrines are holy, its precepts are binding, its histories are true, and its decisions are immutable. Read it to be wise, believe it to be safe, and practice it to be holy. It contains light to direct you, food to support you, and comfort to cheer you. 
It is the traveler's map, the pilgrim's staff, the pilot's compass, the soldier's sword, and the Christian's charter. Here, too, heaven is opened and the gates of hell disclosed. Christ is its grand subject, our good its design, and the glory of God its end. It should fill the memory, rule the heart, and guide the feet. Read it slowly, frequently, and prayerfully. It is a mine of wealth, the paradise of glory, and a river of pleasure. It is given you in life, will be opened at the judgment, and be remembered forever. It involves the highest responsibility, rewards the greatest labor, and will condemn all who trifle with its sacred contents. Heavenly Father, we come to you and we thank you that you are a God who has spoken. Lord, you have not left us in the dark. You have not left us without a revelation. You are a God who has delighted in speaking, a God who delights when we listen, when we turn, when we repent, when we find salvation, when we follow you, when we follow your word. So, Lord, tonight I thank you for your scripture. I pray as your word has been declared uh, that as you promise, it will not return void. There are believers in this room tonight whose faith has been strengthened because of having heard your word declared. Lord, there may be unbelievers who are even in this moment now repenting, even in this moment acknowledging their need for salvation, and I pray returning to Christ, believing upon him as Lord and Savior, because your word has been declared and your word will not return void. So, Lord, we ask, do what you have promised us, do as we know you will. Work through the power of your word to sanctify your people and to save the lost. We pray it in Jesus' name.